for me, I love looking for some sort of evidence of hustle or drive. And it, for me, the passion projects really, really stand out to where someone found something that they care about and they just wanted to become the best at it. Someone I hired into the recruiting team at Box was a world champion baton twirler. I didn't even know that was a sport that got to that level, but she was literally traveling on circuit. And I think if you, if you have that level of passion for something like baton twirling, I think you can translate it to being a really, really dang good recruiter. And in today's world, there's so many opportunities to take something that you care about and turn it into a product, into a business, into a side hustle. So whenever I'm evaluating a candidate, I'm trying to look for a little bit more of that evidence of extra drive around the, the kind of usual factors. doing out there folks this is your host with the most Kenny Vaughn I play for team breakline and I am so excited to welcome you to another edition of the breakline arena folks this is a special treat this week because we got a heavy hitter in the building you know I'm not allowed to be partial towards any of our guests but I already got a really good feeling about this brother Kenny Mendez. Kenny, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I know that you're the head of finance and people and operations at CODA, but for those folks who might not know your background, can we just start by having you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Would love to hear your origin story, brother. Thank you, Kenny. So, uh, so honored and stoked to be here. This is going to be a really, really fun conversation. A little bit about me. So I, uh, I was born in India. I moved to the U.S. when I was uh, six years old, so pretty young. And uh, my cousins were, were in Sunnyvale, so I was fortunate that the first place I moved to was Sunnyvale, California, out in the Bay Area, which is the heart of Silicon Valley. So growing up, uh, I got to see some of the most iconic software companies getting formed. And, and I remember like just being the earliest adopter of some of these cool products. Like eBay, when they were starting up, I would go walk to the post office and mail out a money order when I wanted to buy something online. And, and it's crazy to think about that's, that's where tech started. And growing up as a kid, uh, you know, I was, I was the one always taking apart computers, total, total nerd and geek and loved it. And you know, my, my hero was Bill Gates back in the day. So the fact that today I get to work in technology, get to be part of building really, really fun companies is a total dream come true. So I absolutely love just hearing some additional insight into your background. And you know, I got to ask you, where did this curiosity come from? Where did this passion for computers, you know, because I heard a lot of kids have childhood heroes. I didn't know that Bill Gates was going to be one. So you, I'd love to hear where, the, where did this curiosity come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. My parents were not very technical. So I can't say it came from watching mom and dad. They, they actually just got their first cell phones recently. So I think it was, for me, a, a thing that was my own. My dad got me my first computer when I was uh, six, and I just loved playing with that thing all the time and finding ways to do creative things in it, uh, whether it was playing games in DOS or taking it apart and upgrading the hard drive. Uh, just, a, just a ton of fun. And I don't think you ever run out of steam with technology. It's always evolving. There's always something new to learn and play with. So... Uh, I think to this day, I'm, I'm still that kind of early adopter obsessed person. So I love that additional insight. And we had a chance to talk to Hassani Caraway, who is actually a general counsel at Notion. And he mentioned how his parents got him a Commodore 64 when he was really, really young. And like, 
that opened his eyes to tech and IT in a way that he would have never anticipated. So to hear you have a similar experience is very, very cool. And as a parent, I love that. As a parent, it makes me want to expose my kids to some more IT. I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) So your family immigrates over from India. You've got family that's in Sunnyvale. Another reason you have a special place in my heart is because you're also a UC Berkeley alum. So shout out to the Bears. Um, Go Bears. Yeah. You were, so you were an econ major at Berkeley. Did you ever envision that your degree would correlate to the work that you're doing now in finance, people, and operations? So, so the econ story is kind of an interesting one. So growing up, I was the, the technologist. I, uh, I thought for sure when I grew up I was going to be an engineer. And in high school, I read the book Moneyball by Michael Lewis, one of my all-time favorite books. And for those of you that haven't heard of Moneyball, it's the story of how the Oakland A's uh, super low-budget team was able to contend with the New York Yankees and and win. And they did it by using data to make really, really good decisions. And the protagonist in that story is this guy, Paul DePodesta, who studied econ at, I believe, Harvard and was kind of the, the data geek for the A's. He was their secret weapon. And I read that and said, oh my gosh, that is what I want to do with my life. So when it came to applying to colleges, I only applied to schools that were located near baseball teams. I decided I was going to start, you know, I was going to study econ. And in fact, I actually worked for a minor league baseball team. I worked for the San Jose Giants and got to help the manager figure out the the right way to set up the lineup using stats and data. So almost had a chance at uh, living the dream, but like many baseball players, I got washed up in the minors. So working in tech... That's actually kind of my plan B, which you, you could tell for me, I love my, my plan B. It's, it's been uh, totally, totally amazing. But I studied econ for the reason that it's really the study of rational thinking. Uh, the joke with economists, though, is that people don't really think rationally. So uh, what, what's the point at the end of the day? But it, it gave me a really good foundation for how to think about different types of problems, both from a quantitative and a qualitative lens, and how to make really, really good decisions. And I think that's a very, very useful transferable skill. And obviously, Berkeley was a a super, super fun place, surrounded by amazing faculty, great students, lots of really neat opportunities there. So I love how you tie in your personal interest just hearing you speak about just the fascination of computers and then stumbling upon this book and like, going down this rabbit hole and and taking this deep dive into sabermetrics. And it's really cool how you found that consistent theme of weaving in the things that you're passionate about and then developing this expertise. And so one of the questions that I wanted to kind of pivot to, because as we progress over your career journey, you work very deeply in the people space. And so as you're kind of talking about this very technical background that you're building, kind of an analytical background with the econ. Where does where do people come into the mix? Where how did how did you get going down this road? Can you give us a little bit more insight there? Yeah, for sure. It 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 still connects deeply to the whole money ball story, right? So uh I happened to work for a recruiting team when I was at uh Cal because they they hired me at a career fair. It was an internship opportunity and I, I thought the, the similarities to drafting players versus figuring out uh, engineers for, for a company was, was pretty, pretty similar. So uh, the goal with technology is you need to go find people to build a winning company, a winning team. And 
when it comes to recruiting, you're, you're doing a lot of analysis. You're trying to figure out what are, the, what are the patterns, what are the trends that would lead me to want to talk to this person, to get me excited about them. What is predictive about someone's background versus what is not? And it, it's pretty cool. Over the years, I've gotten to weave that, that money ball philosophy into how I build teams at Box, how I build teams at Coda. There's so many things I love about what you just got done sharing. There are so many things because as you're talking, I'm starting to see the picture come together. And I think especially when, and for those of y'all who haven't either read the book Moneyball or seen the movie, I would highly encourage you to, to see it because as you're talking, I think one of my biggest takeaways from that film are some of the unconscious biases that decision makers take into these processes. And so as I'm listening to your background, not only on the technological side of the house, but also on the analytical side of the house, I love the problem solving kind of framework that you are now taking into people management. Because as I think about the tremendous success, which I want to get ready to ask you about, I can now see how all of the different pieces are now falling into place for you to take a very strategic approach to people ops. And so I think that is a perfect segue to the next chapter of your career that I wanted to ask you about. You are on a rocket ship, my friend. You, you rode the rocket ship. And so for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with your background, just want to get everyone up to speed, let's take it all the way back to 2009. And you're joining this company that folks might not have heard of at that time called Box. You were around employee number 40. By the time the journey was all said and done five years later, you had grown, helped grow the team to 1,200 employees. You navigated an IPO. Can you just, can you give us a little insight into what that journey was like? I can only imagine how exciting of a time it must have been, both personally and professionally for you. Oh, it was it was such a blast. I had an amazing time at Box. And first off, I give you know so much credit in the world to Aaron Levy. He was the founder of Box. He started Box while he was in college at, at USC. And uh, he's such a visionary. He saw a bunch of pretty interesting macro shifts in technology with the way the world was becoming more distributed, the way people were leaning into to mobile much more, the, the changes in networks and said, everything is going to move to the cloud. So he, he hooked onto that and became the unofficial spokesperson for the cloud. And now it's obvious, everything is in the cloud. But when I met Aaron, uh, I was actually getting a little bit burnt out of my uh, job at a recruiting agency. It had become quite transactional, quite repetitive. And you, you know me, Kenny, I, I'm, I'm someone that loves learning, super, super curious, and I'm not in a job just to be able to do the same thing every day. So uh, when Aaron met me, he was really struggling with recruiting, and he was trying to convince me to, to join Box and be the first person they hired in recruiting. And I told him, look, I'm, I'm willing to do anything but recruiting. I'm learning how to program iOS apps on the side, like throw me in with your sales team and your customers team, I don't care. Uh, so in my initial offer letter, it said, Kenny is going to do recruiting for three months and then transition to the sales team. <laughs> wait, can, wait, can I, can I, said, I've got, can I pause yeah. you right here? Because yeah. I, I, I would love if you could peel back some of the layers on this conversation. I mean, I, I, I know you're at a recruiting agency, but now you've got this, 
this startup that's that's kind of recruiting you to come on board. What were some of those conversations like? I, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of those conversations. Yeah, the, the weirdest thing, like I'm, you know, not that far out of school, right? I'm maybe seven months out of school when I first meet Aaron. And here he is. We went to the Nut House, a cool bar in Palo Alto that's unfortunately now closed. And he's picking my brain about, like, how do you do recruiting? How do you find a candidate? How do you get them to join a company? And I'm thinking, man, you are CEO of this, like, really, really cool product that I respect. You shouldn't be asking me. But, uh, you know, to a thread that we'll talk about later, like, this is very common. Like, very, very good founders working on great ideas just don't know how to build teams. Um, And so he uniquely saw an opportunity to get me pulled in to help unblock that problem. And I remember my first couple weeks at Box, it was a very, very different job than what I was doing at an agency. Like at the agency, it was all about cold calling, hitting your number, and making a lot of money making placements. At Box, it was sitting down with this visionary founder and unblocking his biggest problems, which are always, I need to hire this head of engineering, I need this person in marketing. If we can do this, suddenly the company can do these amazing things. Um, So three open roles turned to four, and suddenly I had uh, other people on the leadership team at Box saying, this is amazing, can you please stay in this role? Uh, And I was just having the time of my life. So I never expected that I was gonna have to build a team. We never, none of us had any idea that Box was gonna turn into the rocket ship that it turned into. But you know, fast forward a few years later, and I'm suddenly tasked with scaling this out. Instead of me being able to juggle all of the hires, I need to find out how to increase our velocity tremendously. And going back to what I learned at my my past job is I felt like I could train really, really smart junior people into being amazing recruiters because I had just come out of that experience myself. So 90% of the team, maybe more, that we hired into the box recruiting team had never, ever done recruiting. They were just, you know, hungry, junior, and I went and I convinced them. I said, you're going to learn a lot helping build this company up. And if you look at where these people are today, they're helping scale some of the fastest growing startups out there. So I'm, I'm really, really proud of everything that we accomplished at Box. And I give, you know, all, all the credit to the, the people on the recruiting team that, that made that mission happen. So I want to put this ball back in your court because... One of the things that I love about our Breakline community and, and the folks that that give us the ple- the pleasure of, of sitting down in the arena is you all have some tremendous humility. And as you're kind of playing back this journey, you know, you're, you're kind of casually talking about your conversations with Aaron, who's found this amazing company. And one thing that I will say about tech CEOs and founders is they have a phenomenal eye for talent. And so I know this was not an happenstance. And I, 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 you know, I, I just know that it's, it's so funny that he was able to see the skill set and the attributes that you were going to bring to the table. And also how all of those experiences that you had prior to were just in preparation for this amazing journey that you were going, getting ready to go on. So I absolutely love that story. One final question I wanted to ask you about this box journey was what was... What was one of your favorite moments as you are scaling this organization? Were there moments where, you know, you just had these great insights or was there a moment where you felt like, man, like, I'm not sure how I'm going to get to the next day. Like, can you unpack some of those for us? Uh, there, there were lots of those. Uh, how am I going to get to this next day moment? Um, we were grinding incredibly hard to hire engineers and 
you know, I remember there was one time Aaron, Aaron came to me, uh, you know, I'm working at the office 11 o'clock at night and he, he said, Kenny, you're single-handedly slowing down the growth of the business. And that was like, uh, oh my gosh, like I'm giving everything I got. And I remember go, going to church on Saturday, I'm on my knees praying like, dear Lord, please let this engineer accept this offer. So I have less stress come Monday. Um, but you know, that's, that was the journey, right? It was everyone trying to do everything they could to, to get things moving and, and bit by bit, we, we made things happen. So my, my favorite experience, like definitely comes down to like the team that we built, the amazing people, the culture, uh, box as a whole is known for having just tremendous culture. And you look at the, we call it the box mafia. They're, they're all over the Valley doing amazing things, but the recruiting team always has a real special place in my heart. Those people were like family to me and we were in the trenches making making really cool things happen. Going back to Moneyball, one of my, my favorite projects I got to work on was when we were about 700 people, I felt like we had enough data to go run a people analytics project internally at Box. And I went and I hired three researchers out of grad school, and I told them I want to study everything about our population. I want to look at who we've hired who we've said no to, who we've made, you know, no longer works at, at the company, either they didn't work out or they left for another job. And I want to figure out, like, was there anything predictive? Is there anything counterintuitive that we're, we think makes sense but doesn't? And that was, that was such a blast. Mm. So I, I want to I transition to the next part of this conversation because I think this is a fitting segue for the next question I wanted to ask you. You are on this amazing journey and one of my favorite work experiences that you have on your LinkedIn timeline is you talk about a sabbatical you, you, you take a little bit of break so you got five years at box and there's a four-month period where you take a sabbatical to unwind restore and take the cobwebs off your golf game I absolutely love this I love the transparency that you bring to the table in terms of the professional experience but to, to the root, because I think this is a very timely question, can you, can you talk a little bit more about burnout and what it meant for you to be able to take that, that, that moment, to take that break? And then the follow-up question of that is just any words of wisdom that you have for our listeners who are trying to strike that balance? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a really interesting uh, experience that I had at Box. So you, you could tell I was straight out of college. I had no commitments, you know, no spouse, no kids, nothing like that. And I worked like crazy. Uh, I was working many days, kind of 10 a.m. to 1 a.m., seven days a week. My breakfast every day at work was grabbing a Red Bull and a bag of carrots from the vending machine. And I, I was pushing uh, 150 miles an hour. Unfortunately, uh, one day I got really, really, really sick. Uh, I, I developed an autoimmune issue that is now going to be with me for the rest of my life. And it was a very good kick in the butt from life. And it was a, a lesson that I'm, I'm not immortal. I have limits and I need to really think a lot more about balance and rest and nutrition and being much more mindful about how I approach my, my day to day. Uh, so that has changed my life forever. Like, you know, it, it, was, it was a tough thing to go through and it was a good lesson to learn early in life. And it's really informed all of my future decisions. And in fact, when I was talking to my, my now, now boss, the founder of Coda, Shashir Marotra, I told him like, there's no way I can go at the pace that I did at Box. And I, I need to be much more methodical. And getting that breather, that four months off to, uh, to restore 
my my health. I remember like three, four weeks after I left box, I was still having dreams about work. I was thinking about it all the time and it took a while for all of that to kind of quiet down inside and gave me much more clarity about what I really wanted to do next. To all the people in the world that are actively employed and thinking about their career decisions next and juggling interviews at the same time, I don't know how you do it. Like that's, uh, that's not an easy thing to take on. And if there's any way you can create that separation, that space between jobs, I think it, it does wonders for you. So first, I just appreciate the, the transparency and allowing us to ask that question. I appreciate the transparency and just the mental and the physical toll that the work took. What was it like on that four month journey? Because I know sometimes it's it's easy to kind of, you know, share these insights and wisdoms, you know, with with the perspective of hindsight. And so for folks who are trying to figure out, you know, just the value in giving ourselves that time and space, even if it's not sabbatical, even if it's just finding more manageable hours, what was what was what were some of the insights that you learned about yourself during that time? For for me, my thought of what I was going to do after box changed dramatically due to those four months. So to backtrack a bit, uh, I gave Aaron 18 months notice that I was going to leave box. Uh, he was so good to me and I didn't want to leave him in a lurch. So I, you know, gave him a long, long timeline. And my initial plan leaving box was going to be to go start a people analytics company, similar to that project I, I told you about. But on my last week there, Aaron sat me down and said, Hey, I don't think you should do that. Like, it's just not that ambitious and you're going to build a small services business, which is great, but like you have a skill set that can be used to hit, you know, much bigger impact in the world by, by pairing yourself with a cool technologist. I think you should do something different. And I realized like he was right. Part of his intent might've been to convince me to stay at box a little bit longer, but I decided, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave and I'm going to use this time to think. So <laughs> I remember uh, my first day off, a prominent uh, VC firm had asked me to interview for a job there and they gave me an offer and they said we need you to decide by Wednesday and I told them like this could be the greatest job in the world but I'm just not in the space where I could commit to this and instead I spent a lot of that time exploring and talking to lots of people uh, you know folks in venture founders late stage founders early stage founders and what I ended up doing at the end of my break like the job I decided to take was totally totally different than what I thought I was going to do at the beginning so that space really, really helped me get clarity of thought. And box, you know, was, was such a whirlwind. I never got to golf. And golf to me was a really kind of late in life passion that I loved and I had to put on ice for a while. So I think I spent my time 50% just going to the driving range and practicing <laughs> and just being quiet and enjoying golf again. And the other time just meeting amazing people. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I was able to go on that journey. Mm. I think one of the things that sticks out to me about what you just shared is just giving yourself a moment to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I mean, just just listening to you talk about the hours that you worked, the the passion that I know that you poured into helping grow the company and set the conditions for long-term success. I can only imagine the toll that takes over a one-year period, let alone five years. And so to hear you Give yourself the grace to take that pause, to take that moment, to avoid the temptation of that early offer and say, you know what? I said this was what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick to my guns and actually do it. 
Um, I wish our listeners could see your actual face right now because you have such a huge, bright, vibrant smile. You got a great aura and a great energy about you. And so for all of our listeners, I hope that you are you are taking copious notes and that you're heeding some of the wisdom uh, that Kenny is dropping on us here today. So I, I'd love to bring it back to present day. So uh, as we mentioned earlier, you're the head of finance, people, and operations at CODA. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with CODA, would love if you could just share a little bit more about the organization, the team, your day-to-day. You've been there for about seven years now. I know you were one of the earliest employees there. So once again, you're getting a chance to see the company grow and scale. So would love any insights that you could just share with your experience thus far. Yeah, so, sounds great. So I met Shashir Marotra, the, the founder of CODA, uh, during during that sabbatical. And uh, there was a an investor at Greylock said, hey, there's this tiny team in Palo Alto. They're building the next version of Office. You should go talk to them. And everything I knew from Box was that was like the biggest market in the world. Like that product, core productivity tool of choice is uh, is quite an ambitious thing to go after. And Shashir was an amazing founder. His the, the thing he had just finished doing was scaling out the YouTube product. So if you if you look at the way online video is today and you know the, the behemoth that YouTube is, the way things like skippable ads work on the internet, like Shashir is kind of the, the mastermind behind all of these like really, really transformational things. So I figure uh, I, I should meet with this person and see what he's working on. And and I remember in our first conversation, we didn't even talk about Coda. We talked about his unique philosophies to how he approaches building teams and uh, growing organizations. It was so unique, so refreshing, and so different from everything I'd ever heard. And then he turned around and gave me the product demo and the vision. And what, what Coda's doing for people that haven't uh, heard of the product is we're building a new all-in-one doc that kind of takes the best elements of documents, spreadsheets, and applications, rolls them into one flexible surface. Uh, and And kind of the end goal is it lets people build docs that function much more like custom applications. And you could use Coda for simple things like uh, meeting notes or build really, really awesome, complex, powerful workflows and, and everything in between. So uh, I, I describe it as a low floor, very high ceiling product. And when I when I joined, it was nothing more than a little early prototype. But I, I decided that Shashir was the type of founder similar to, to Aaron at Fox. Like I I just want to be near this guy. I think he's got an interesting perspective on the world, and I think he's got a really long-term vision of what he's trying to build. And if I stay close to him, I'm probably going to learn a lot. So when I, when I joined Coda, my first role was kind of running the people function. It was overseeing recruiting and HR, which that was quite a bit of a broadening out for me. And then one day, Shashir came to me and said, hey, I want you to take over the full GNA function. So that's finance, legal, ops, real estate, et cetera. And I said, like, look, I don't know anything about this stuff. I don't know what a P&L looks like. And he said, oh, it's okay. You'll figure it out. Uh, and he was, he was an amazing mentor and put a lot of faith and trust in me and gave me the space to, to go in and, and learn the inner workings of these areas and get, get the support and mentorship to, to be successful in doing that. So I'm, I'm super, super grateful for that. And I, I love my day-to-day job of kind of running the, the, the behind-the-scenes part of CODA. Uh, my unofficial role at CODA is... Um, I just love what the community of builders is doing out there with our product. So I love um, staying close to folks on Twitter and, and hearing what people are doing in this kind of new new emergent category. Uh, I actually have I've hired a bunch of really awesome makers from from quick interactions on on Twitter. And there's just been lots of fun ways to to take advantage of this like unofficial favorite part of my job. 
there are so many different directions I'd love to take this next portion of the conversation. But there was there was a theme that I was starting to notice, and I'm glad that you took a deeper dive there. I'd love to actually ask you a follow-up question on this. The importance of finding that mentor as you're making professional decisions, because that was a theme that I kind of heard you share as you were talking about your interaction with Aaron, as you're talking about your relationship with Shashir. It sounds like a, another theme. Just as a professional, can you give our listeners a little bit more insight as to why that was so important for you to find that, you know, to find that inspirational leader, to find that 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 person that you felt was going to pour into you professionally? Yeah, for sure. I I think being a founder is probably the hardest, most lonely job in the world. Like you, you have to take on all of this insane amount of stress as a company. Uh, every every people issue, every product issue, every customer issue is ultimately your call. And I knew for me, uh, especially with my uh, you know autoimmune issue, that I probably was was not ever going to choose to be a founder. So I'd always decided my goal is to find an amazing founder and just be the most useful person I can be. And the uh, the two founders that I've worked really really closely with were so generous in helping me explore new things, learn and stretch, you know, going back to box, the, the classic path that they would have done is realize, hey, this company's going to scale. We need to bring in an experienced recruiting manager or head of recruiting. And Aaron said, nope, I believe in Kenny. I'm going to go let him try to make this happen. And Shashir the same way. He's just been someone that looks and, and finds people with just certain raw skills and throws them into the challenge. And I, I love that. I think it's it's given me that constant exposure to new problems and different different types of challenges and fortunately for for Shashir he has a partner in me that he he can trust to go into a new area and execute something well so I think it's a real special thing to go into an early stage organization uh, like a startup because you have so many different problems and not enough people on hand to be able to solve them and that's where you you find these types of really stretched roles I think much easier to find them in a place like a, a Coda than you know, a larger company where people are in their, their more respective swim lanes and I think they have to be for that level of scale. I think this is a tremendously insightful way to evaluate career options. And I think that's one of the big takeaways that I hope our listeners uh, are gonna glean from this insight is rather than focus necessarily on a title or, or, or a particular company, you did some deep introspection in terms of the type of individuals that you wanted to learn from and grow from. And so uh, I think the evidence is uh, is apparent in all the success that you continue to achieve in your career. And I just appreciate you giving us that additional insight there. Oh, thank you, Kenny. So there's another, there's another cool topic that I'd love to just have you play back for us. And so... As you are now building this body of expertise and navigating the people space with startup founders, you actually have your own kind of startup inside hustle uh, called Startup Hiring. It's a passion project of yours. And so would you mind giving our listeners some additional insight into what startup hiring is and the work that you're doing in this space? Yeah, for sure. So, so one nice thing of coming through the experience of scaling Box and, and, and growing the team at Coda 
is uh, I constantly get referred to really, really amazing founders that are trying to scale their company. And the first question is they're asking if I'm you know, w willing to leave and do something else. I said, no, 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 I'm happy at Coda, but I'll, I'll spend time with you. I'll share as much of my, my advice as I can. And I would do a lot of these, you know, 30 minute hour long brain dumps. Uh, and it was good, but it felt me feeling like I, I just wasn't getting the, to the meat of the issue. Like there's just so much content to cover. So uh, a friend of mine, uh, Lenny Rachitsky, who's, uh, he used to be an early product manager at uh, Airbnb and decided that he was going to quit his job as a, as a PM and start a newsletter on product management. He was launching a class on teaching people to be great product managers and suggested I do the same for, for hiring. And I, I had never thought of an idea like this, but I, I figured there were enough people, both founders and recruiters that wanted to learn about these concepts that I'd give it a shot. And you know, the main point is I'm not leaving Coda. I love my job. I love working on what I'm doing every day, but I wanted a deeper way to connect with folks on this topic. So uh, actually last night I just finished my uh, second cohort of startup hiring and it was it was a blast. So I've, I've done this twice now and uh, been really, really a, a great way to go deeper in some of the, the crazy approaches and philosophies and, and mistakes that I've learned over the years doing this. My, my favorite part about uh, this whole side hustle is it's, it's shown me that the way people are learning is going to change substantially. Like traditionally, everyone's focused on you're going to a college, you're taking classes, you're getting grades, and that's how you're getting jobs. But now you're able to go and learn from people like Lenny on how to be a great product manager. And you're not spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars going, going and, and learning these concepts. You're taking bite-sized kind of micro learnings. And I think this kind of future of learning in this cohort-based style is going to be amazing. There's this cool company called Maven that's actually trying to accelerate this. They're going and finding different experts in different industries to uh, create these courses. And I think for, for any of your listeners that are uh, curious about diving into something like product management or cryptocurrency, go, go take one of these courses. It will be the best investment of time and money and way more approachable than uh, you know, kicking off a new degree. Mm. Two major thoughts come to mind with what you just shared. And the first of which is, I absolutely love the fact that you got the receipts. You got the track record. You're like, look, you, if, if there's any doubt as to my expertise in this space, refer to exhibit A. And so I think it's really cool that you are now able to leverage just this Really, in all seriousness, this is wealth of information because I think as you, as we think about some of these transformational companies that are scaling rapidly, the impact at scale that they're driving, there are some very unique experiences that only individuals like yourself are only ever going to have. And so just seeing the value in that domain expertise, I think is really, really cool. And I, it's awesome to see you leverage it now and, and pay that forward. But the second thing that I really loved that you shared was the evolving nature of education. And I think particularly, you know, with the work that we're doing at Breakline, we are absolutely of the same vein where the things that it's going to take for people to actually get the job, the things that it's going to take for people to actually achieve success are different than what we may have initially anticipated them to be. And so the model in which we deliver that education to people has to evolve. 
And so I really love how you tied those pieces together. It's something that hits very close to home for us as we're trying to do the same thing here with our community. And so really appreciate you bringing the light to that as well. Awesome. I think it's going to be an exciting future for, for anyone that's looking into learning right now. Yeah. So can we, can we unpack a macro issue real quick? Is that okay with you? Yeah. Okay. Sounds fun. We're, we're living in some unique times. No news to anyone who is listening to this podcast right now. But as we talk about specifically the labor market, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has been putting out um, information about the number of Americans who are transitioning in the workplace. And this past August, a record 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs and what's now being labeled the great resignation. So as someone who has over a decade of experience, not only in people operations, but hiring specifically within the tech industry, what's your word of advice? What are your words of wisdom, not only for the job seekers, but also for the recruiters and hiring managers as we're having to navigate this very fluid job market? Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy what's happening right now in the world. Uh, COVID has obviously been an amazing accelerant for how companies can work, uh, and, and they're kind of being forced to adapt and forced to work in this modern way. But I think what was going to naturally happen over the next five to 10 years happened in a matter of a couple of months. So it's a great gift for job seekers that right now you can be almost anywhere and work for the coolest companies in the world. When, when previously, if you're, if you're wanting to work for a tech startup, you kind of have to go to Silicon Valley. When, when COVID hit, we had a bunch of our employees from Coda move out of the Bay Area. They moved back home to be closer to family, to work in areas, to live in areas that were just more affordable, but they're still working for an amazing company and in a really, really cool job. So I think uh, your listeners should take advantage of that acceleration and find that dream job. But uh, one thing I have to call out is it's really, really hard for some companies to adapt to this new world, especially if they're trying to solve it in this hybrid, distributed, in-person world where some of your team members are in an office and some are out on, on Zoom. And I think the, the simple things like how are decisions made? Are they made in the water cooler or is there a way where if I'm out remote, I'm not getting disadvantaged compared to my peers? So I'd encourage people to be really thoughtful of asking how that company functions. How are they making it work in this new environment that we're in? And no one really knows the right answers, but I think some companies are quite ahead of the curve. Uh, for example, Coda decided to be a distributed company back in uh, 20, 2015, 2016, right? So we had multiple offices in the Bay Area. We had two offices. We had a, uh, a site in Seattle. We had four or five people that were in different offices. So we just got forced over the years to practice being effective in a semi-distributed way. So for us, it wasn't a big transition switching over to everyone now is a Zoom tile. But I think a lot of companies that didn't, didn't do that, they're, they're having to learn some of these skills the hard way. Sometimes some of them are holding on to it. Like, nope, we're going to go back to person. We're not going to shift to being distributed. So just be thoughtful when you're evaluating these opportunities that the company that you're joining is going to be able to support the way you're going to work long term. In terms of advice for recruiters and hiring managers, it's the toughest climate I've ever seen to hire. There are so many opportunities, barriers are taken down to what choices employees can make. So I, I always like to be 
extremely humble when it comes to handling recruiting and dealing with, with talent. I like to go into a conversation assuming my, my company, my opportunity is the least interesting thing on this candidate's list. And I want to go in full force, getting them as amped, pumped up on every part of my company. So we, we go and give every single candidate we're talking to a, a deep product demo. We make sure we're selling them on the, the culture, the, the environment, all of the reasons why Coda is going to be transformational for their career. Uh, and I think there's a lot of companies that have not yet realized that's, that's kind of table stakes now. Like they're waiting until the end when they decide they really, really like someone to start turning on the charm. And you're just going to lose too many candidates through your process in that world. Well, I think what you're bringing to light here is the fact that this is more now than ever a two-way transaction. And, you know, based on the statistic that we, sh- that we shared earlier, people are voting with their feet. They're absolutely voting with their feet. And I think, uh, to your point, to hear you say that this is absolutely the most competitive job, climate, and environment that you've seen, that's, t- that's saying a lot. And so I can already kind of tell just based off what you've shared with the work that you all are doing at CODA, that you're creating an experience throughout that candidate's interview process where even if they weren't in love with CODA when they had that first screening call, they are falling in love with the company with every single interaction. And yep. I think that is such a huge competitive advantage that you've weaved into your hiring process. So I just wanted to call that out and and really give you all the kudos for the work you're doing in that space. Awesome. Hiring is an all hands on deck problem. Every every person in our company is involved in making these these hires happen. And I and I think it it's it's possible to survive in this climate if you do that. But uh, it you know take takes a lot of elbow grease. Mm. So you've you've had a chance now to work at a pretty wide range in size and scale of, of organizations and companies. For job seekers who are trying to figure out, you know, should I should I enter at a small startup, you know, and would I be a better fit for, you know, a large scale later stage company? Can you share just some advice or words of wisdom as to how people should think about that type of decision? Yeah, there's a, a helpful framework I borrow from Shashir called Small Pond, Big Pond. Uh, and he says most career decisions come down to thinking about the trade-offs between Small Pond and Big Pond. So, for example, a Big Pond might be a really, really large company like uh, a Google or a Microsoft. And if you work at a Big Pond, your happiness, your career success, etc., all comes down to how big of a fish you are relative to the fish around you. So in environments like this, you're kind of aware that the pond is what it is. Like you as an individual are not going to be able to do that much to change the size of the pond, the trajectory of the pond. So you end up having to focus much more on your your own individual success and kind of making sure that your titles are changing, your scope is changing, you're paying a lot of attention to career ladders and promotions, and it's a, it's a different ballgame. In a small pond, all that matters is the size of the pond. And you're trying to pick a small pond that can one day turn into a gigantic pond. Uh, and most candidates are not used to thinking about like measuring ponds. They have to think much more like an investor and they have to figure out what company, what market is this company playing in? Do I believe that this can turn into a mega success someday or not? Do I believe in the team? If I was not involved, if I didn't, didn't work here, would I invest 
my my money into this company or not and i think that is a is a helpful framework and all of those things like titles career progression any of that totally irrelevant all that matters is the size of the pond and in a in a big pond you're you're kind of vested to want to be the the smartest person on a, on the team that's where your career does the best in a small pond you're hoping to be the dumbest person on the team you want everyone around you to be an all-star and you want to learn from them so for me personally, I'm definitely uh, of the fan of finding that right small pond. It it helps me stretch a lot more in terms of uh, you know intellectual curiosity and that mission oriented nature of we can make this thing a success if we all go in and uh, do 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 our work and, and make uh, make magic happen in that sense. But there's some people that actually they like the big pond. They don't want to stress about is this thing going to work or not? And they, they enjoy working through the, the much more systematic, rigorous hierarchy and, and structure of a big pond. So I don't think there's a you know, good or bad, but I do think find the environment that is more right for you. I definitely think uh, if you find the right small pond, your career learning can be much more accelerated than in a big pond. Like my five years at Box felt like 15 years at a, at a larger company. And I think that the same is true for what I've gone through at Coda. So, like I said, you, you just be dropping some dimes, man. There, there are so many things that I, that I would like to just play back what, based off of what you've just shared. But in the interest of time, I will keep the conversation moving forward. But hopefully our listeners get a chance to play that back because I think that's a really, really powerful framework in assessing the type of organization that's the best fit for you as the individual decision maker. Uh, And I think what I really appreciate about what you shared as well is these decisions do have second and third order impacts on your career and career progression. And so really appreciate you giving the insight there. There's a question that I absolutely cannot let you leave here without asking you, because I know you probably get asked this question all the time, but as you're looking at a job applicant, as you're assessing talent, whether it be on the technical or the non-technical side of the house, what are some of those intangible attributes that you are hoping to find in a really compelling candidate? Yeah, for me, I love looking for some sort of evidence of hustle or drive. And for me, the passion projects really, really stand out to where someone found something that they care about and they just wanted to become the best at it. Someone uh, I hired into the recruiting team at Box was a world champion baton twirler. I didn't even know that was a sport that got to that level, but she was literally traveling on circuit. And I think if you if you have that level of passion for something like, you know, baton twirling, I think you can translate it to being a really, really dang good recruiter. And in today's world, there's so many opportunities to take something that you care about and turn it into a product, into a business, into a side hustle. There's no penalty for failure. It costs very, very little in terms of like resources to get something like this up and running. And there's so much support out there in terms of community, people willing to help out. So uh, whenever I'm evaluating a candidate, I'm trying to look for a little bit more of that, uh, that evidence of extra drive around the, the kind of usual factors. I think that one really resonates with, with us here, particularly because one of the mantras we have at Breakline is that excellence is transferable. And the, the diligence, the work ethic, the focus, the resilience, 
it takes to achieve excellence in almost any pillar. I think people bring those into other places and spaces in their life. And so I really, it's, it's really cool that you can take something that seems very tangential on the surface and say, no, there's something here that is going to provide some tremendous value to our organization. I can teach you the rest of the stuff that you're going to need in order to, to bring value to this particular problem. But that grit, you know, that resilience, um, that's much more difficult to, to, try to, to try to grow in a person. So thought that was... That's very, everything. Yeah. I, I look for any chance of, of finding that in someone. And it shows up in lots of different ways, but uh, that, will, that will take people very, very far in life. So to all our listeners, don't be afraid to, to share some of those unique attributes when you're going through this process. Do not be afraid to share some of those passion projects is what I'm hearing from Kenny. So, okay, two final questions for you, if, if it's all right with you. The first just deals with you've been on a number of really cool journeys over the course of your career already. And you've got a chance to scale companies, see them grow, really just gain deep insights in this space. Is this something that you see yourself doing again at any point? Or are you are you on a pretty steady glide path? Yeah, it's funny. Seven years at Coda makes me kind of a dinosaur in, in Silicon Valley. You see a lot of people working at companies for one, two, three years. And uh, I'm, I've already put in uh, way longer than that in Dakota. But I think the mission we're working on is absolutely massive and we're just getting started. So uh, I think I'm, I'm just early in my, my goals and what I want to accomplish here at Coda and I'm going to be here uh, quite a while longer. But long term, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And I'm actually very, very okay with that, which I think is, is good. Like focus singularly on making this thing as successful as humanly possible. The one thing I've learned from getting to do uh, you know, the startup hiring and working with lots of founders is... I enjoy helping really, really early stage entrepreneurs unblock uh, issues and help them get get successful on their mission. So uh, I suspect long term, I'll always find a way to do that, whether it's going back into one individual company again. I don't know. It's tiring. It's uh, it's not an easy gig being uh, in the trenches like this for a long, long time. But I think there are other ways that you can do that and also help multiple founders at the same time. So I, I may someday explore you know a path like that. All right. Well, final final question for you. I want to leave you with the last word and just any words or recommendations that you have for our listeners, folks who may be considering a career pivot, folks who may be trying to take inventory of their own professional experiences and see where they'd be the best fit, folks who may feel like they don't necessarily see themselves in the tech industry yet. What words of advice or recommendation do you have for our Breakline community uh, as you reflect on your own journey? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is soak up knowledge as much as you possibly can. Uh, I would read a ton, whether you like physical books or audio books, but there are so many amazing stories of the formations of companies like Amazon and Nike and Apple and uh, ben Horowitz has a great book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Chip and Dan Heath have written a bunch of really, really amazing books, like read all of their books and podcasts. Uh, this podcast is an amazing one. I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. Uh, so if you are going for a walk, if you're going to the gym, whatever you're doing, like just try to use that time to soak up knowledge. Uh, I love music, but I rarely listen to music because I'm always trying to just like fill in 
extra perspectives and different ways about thinking about the world and problems, et cetera. So that'd be my first, first big piece of advice. The, the second is surround yourself with people that make you the best version of you. Uh, professionally, we've talked about how for me, that's been Aaron, that's been Shashir. Personally, like my wife, Erica, is the most amazing person in the world. And it, when she first met me, I was a total joker. And I had to up my game substantially uh, to be able to hang with someone like her. And thankfully, that decision led to much more professional success and got my, 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 my work game better as a result. But it was definitely to, to make sure I was good enough to be with her. And I think surrounding yourself with a support system, friends, uh, significant others, et cetera, that help you be the best you will, will go a long way. And the last thing that I, uh, I wish I told myself more at Box, uh, enjoy the ride. Uh, when you're looking at startups from the outside, they always seem like a rocket ship. On the inside, they're, they're a dumpster fire. Uh, but people always talk about them like they're you know, overnight successes. In reality, they, they never are. There's always internal pressure to get to that next big milestone, that next big thing, and everyone's anxious about that. But these are the best days of your life. Like you're getting to work with incredible people, you're getting to have uh, amazing learning experiences and solve all sorts of fun challenges every day. Just remember to slow down and enjoy the ride because you're not always going to have jobs that, that give you that amazing feeling. Mm. Folks, where I'm from, I believe we would call that a mic drop moment. <laughs> Kenny, thank you so much. This, this has been such a pleasure. We know you have a tremendously busy schedule. You have a young family, a child on the way, so we know your time is tremendously precious. But you just came through and dropped an absolute master's class for our listeners. So on behalf of our entire community, we just wanted to say thank you so much for lending us a bit of your time, your perspective, and just taking us on an exciting journey over the course of this past hour. Thank you, Kenny. You are an amazing, amazing Post. And I'm so grateful for what you guys are doing for the community. Breakline is is amazing, but uh, thank you for for being uh, a super super fun fun host this past hour. Well, all right, and to all our listeners out there, if you enjoyed what you heard, we just need you to do one of three things: hit that like button, hit that subscribe, or if it really touched your spirit, we love if you leave us a review. It helps us continue to get the word out there, continue to share the great stories, and most importantly, ensure that we're continuing to provide you with some great content. So on that note, it's Kenny Squared, shouting out from the Breakline HQ, and we will see you all on the high ground. Have a good one, folks.